Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Thank you, Dad. And morning, family. It's quite different being up here. You'd think it's the same between offering and a sermon. It's really not. (laughs) Offering is something we've preached on and been up here a million times. Um, But this is a whole new level. It's a whole new platform. Um, So I actually just want to first thank the members of the church. Uh, So to share a quick testimony before I even get started. um, Those of you who were here on our last prophetic Sunday, um, Prophet Jay and his wife Charmaine were here ministering. And uh, I received so many prophetic words that day. But the very first prophetic word I received was that I should be preaching. And I'm stepping into a time where God's elevating me into a platform of preaching. And the very following week, I shared the word, the offering message on Easter Sunday. And following that, um, Dad told me that there was a couple of members of the church who actually asked that I preach a message And so I just wanted to, first of all, thank those people for having the faith in me and um, and also just giving me the freedom of the platform to step into that. And, um, you know, there's there's something that God had said to me about appropriating the words that are spoken over your life. And it's not easy. It's not easy because you've got to step out of your comfort zone and you never feel like you're actually ready to step into what God's telling you to step into because it's much safer to stay where you're not being seen or in my case, some majority of the time behind the cameras and I do what I need to when I need to. Um, But to step onto a platform where I know every word I speak, I'm going to be held accountable in the heavens is a big responsibility, and I don't take it lightly. So thank you for your faith. And then mom and dad, as dad was mentioning earlier, (laughs) um, it's crazy, about eight years ago now, um, I came to mom and dad, I was at my wit's end. My life was an absolute mess. I was in every kind of wrong relationship you can think of. And I just came to them in a complete mess, and I didn't think I was worthy of anything anymore. And um, that moment, in that moment, mom and dad, you, I'm not, don't make me cry, mom. Um, In that moment, mom and dad were the example of Christ's love for me. Because when I didn't think I was worthy of anything anymore, mom and dad said, you know what? If if you're going to walk this road, you won't walk it alone. We'll walk with you and we'll even stand up publicly with you and say that we love you. And so the fact that somebody who, who knew what I'd done at that point and what I was involved in, that society would deem scum, even worse things that I'm not going to say up here, mom and dad said, we're going to love you regardless. And that started my journey because I figured if they could love me, how much more can Jesus love me? And if Jesus loves me, then what right do I have to stay in my comfort zone and not pursue his destiny for my life? Because he saved me from myself not even the rest of the stuff. I was a mess. I was my own worst enemy, as many of us are. Um, And so I just want to encourage you with that word as well, in that if he can do it for somebody like me, who now eight years later is now getting to preach uh, from my first sermon uh, that I've been pursuing since that moment, he can do it for you, whatever your destiny is. 
Um, and so thank you, Mom and Dad, and I honor you for just loving me and having faith, and it's not always easy. Mom and Dad uh, have put up with a lot with me over the years. It looks nice now because I'm married to their son and we all love each other, but there were times where I questioned things <laughs> hard, <laughs> and they loved me through that as well, so um, I honor you guys. And then today, I'm actually up here. Uh, God's given me an English lesson, basically, <laughs> to teach you guys from, um, but in following on to Dad's message about a fresh fire of worship, I want to give you a fresh fire of revelation today through the English language or through language in general. Um, but before we do, uh, please just uh, appease me and just pray with me. Um, Lord God, I'm not worthy to stand up here, but you have deemed me fit to serve your kingdom. And I'm humbled at your feet this morning, Lord. And I thank you that my life is a living example of what you can do. And so, Father, as I bring my first sermon this morning, I lay it at your feet and I empty myself of any kind of pride, Lord. Father, I pray that this, heart will go, this message will go forward and touch hearts, that just as it was a revelation in mine, it will be a revelation in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm not even into it, and I'm already in tears. Okay, so just to recap, um, Dad asked me to kind of delve deeper into the message that I gave on Easter Sunday during the offering message. And I really wanted to. I actually prepared for two weeks with that message. And then yesterday I sat down to sort of, oh, it'll be a couple hours. I'm just going to formulate it together, and my sermon's done. And I sat down, and God said, that's kind of the message, but there's a different direction now. And so I landed up sitting for twice the amount of time preparing for today. But to recap from then, because it does follow on, that Easter Sunday, uh, we focused on how our giving and our sacrifices can affect the generations to come, our own generations to come. Not the general world's generations, but our actual generation. Our kids, our kids, our kids. And then we also discussed how Jesus was made in the image of man, yet the only thing that differentiates us from him was his resilience in tough times. He kept his eye on the prize. He kept his eye on his destiny. And regardless of what he lost, regardless of offense, regardless of pain and torture and loneliness and everything that we so quickly cave in with and run and hide in our little hole, he continued on to see his destiny through because he knew that it would affect the generations to come. He knew the importance of his destiny. And so today we're also going to speak, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to share a little bit on destiny and so on. Um, but what I want to say is how much more would we be willing to give into the kingdom or give our lives for the kingdom if we understood the language of our destiny? So if you can put the first scripture up there, it's 1 John 1. Um, it's one we all know by now. In the beginning was the word, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Um, so I've got it in a slightly different version here. Yeah, I'm going to read my version as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Sounds like a tongue twister. I had to read that very slowly. <laughs> Your language reflects your intention. And words imitate the intention by creating or destroying. I'll say that again. Language reflects your intention. And words imitate the intention by creating or destroying. And that's based on Proverbs 18.21. We'll get to that later, that scripture. So according to 1 John 1, we were spoken to existence by God, right? Which means God's intention was to create and for creation and for procreation. Which means if Jesus came to earth reflecting man's image and died for the salvation of man, but had to become unrecognizable in order for salvation to happen, surely that would mean that humanity no longer reflected the word of God which is why God no longer recognized his people. I shall. If Jesus came to earth reflecting man's image and died for the salvation of man, but had to become unrecognizable in order for salvation to happen, surely that would mean that humanity no longer reflected the word of God, which is why God no longer recognized his people. So calling yourself Christian doesn't bring salvation. We live, South Africa alone, I think the last statistic I saw, um, like 70% uh, of South Africans call themselves Christian. Nobody, majority of them probably haven't actually given their lives to God, nor do they serve the Christian lifestyle the way they should. And why do we do that? Because... Every person is born with the need to fit in. All of us, the bad decisions we make is most of the time because we're wanting to be accepted into something. So it's easy to say, I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean you've been saved. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven just because you're calling yourself Christian. There's more to it than that. Salvation is not just accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's a commitment to the kingdom of heaven. So when you give your life to God, there is this thing called the Great Commission. Again, even if you've called yourself a Christian, you've probably heard of the Great Commission. So Jesus comes, he serves his three years of ministry, he does signs, wonders, and miracles, and then he goes through this horrific um, morning, Friday morning, of just torture and the most horrific things to the fact to the point where, like I said, he becomes humanly unrecognizable. 
And then he still goes on to carry a cross. And he's already beaten up so bad that you can't even see him as a person anymore. He's, I'm, sure, I'm sure at that point he probably looked like a lump of meat. I mean, he had flesh torn off of him. He'd been beaten up. He'd, his clothes had been ripped off of him. He had thorns on his head. And even in that pain, he's given a cross and he carries the cross, stumbles along the way, gets up onto uh, Golgotha, is put on a cross, he hangs there for hours, and eventually he breathes his last breath and he dies. Then three days later, praise God, he's won the battle over death, and he rises, and then he comes back and he proves that he's overcome by showing the holes in his hands to his disciples. And then he walks this road with the disciples and he says, the time is coming where I'll leave you, but I will send a helper. So if we can go to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 30. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of age. That is the commission. That's the great commission that us Christians always talk about. So giving your life to God isn't just saying, Lord, I recognize you as the Lord who died for my sins, who's Lord of my life, and I want to recognize that, and I want to recognize it publicly, even through baptism. But it's also saying, Lord, I recognize that I have a destiny in you, and I'm not just yet to exist, but I'm yet to serve your kingdom and grow the kingdom. So every Christian is called for the purpose of growing the kingdom of heaven. But we each have a different destiny within that purpose. So as a Christian, we all have the destiny of growing the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus or God, when he created the world, he created man to be in fellowship with man. He never intended for us to be ripped apart from him. He never intended for us to live a life of struggle and pain, to lose hope and depression and anxiety and all these horrible things, crime, statistics, that was never, he just wanted such a pure relationship that we wouldn't even be embarrassed because we were naked in front of him. And so his heart and why, why he gives us this, um, this command, um, or what's the word I use, this purpose, this common purpose, is because his heart is to have all his people come back into purity with him, that we can live eternity the way he originally intended us to live. He is trying to help us get back to the garden, and he wasn't even the one that made the wrong decision, the selfish decision, to want to know the, the wisdom that he had, the way Adam and Eve did. But what differentiates us as individuals is that each of us have our own individual destiny within the purpose. Mom and dad preach, and I'm standing here preaching, but I, thank heavens, do not have the same destiny that they have, praise God, um, because we're not all built the way or have the anointing or the spe specific giftings or characteristics that we need to carry out the same destiny. And so... I would now go further and say your destiny is the unique word of God that is spoken over you as an individual. So now I want to speak about heart language. Let me just take a mug of water. If we can go to Luke 6.45. 
A good purpose, sorry. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Then if we can go to Proverbs 18:21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. All of these scriptures I've used so far, scriptures we've used a million times, we've heard it a million times. You don't need to be a Christian to know these scriptures. It's not deep theory of the Bible. The words we speak reflect the intentions within our heart. So before we can use words, we have to choose a language within our hearts, which will steer the words that we choose to speak. So our words, according to the scriptures, they create or destroy, but our language produces. So there's three kinds of fruit that your heart language produces. There's the language of selfish intent. There's no fruit at all. And then there's a fruit that is for the corporate gain, gain of the kingdom of God. In other words, it echoes heaven. So I want to delve a bit deeper into those three things. And, and I'm the first one to stand up and say, I've gone through seasons. And even in my season now, there's been times where I've found myself in each one of these three areas. And I've had to repent. Even yesterday. So selfish intent, this, the words you speak will only be for your personal gain. If you look at Judas, he was the financial advisor for the disciples. He handled the money for the disciples as they traveled. And what happened? He decided to give up the corporate anointing for his own selfish gain financially. If you look at Adam and Eve right at the beginning, they had the corporate anointing in the garden and they decided to give it up for their own selfish gain of wisdom. And, every, and there's more stories throughout the Bible of it. And every time that that has happened, man has fallen. So when you are speaking from a heart language of personal gain, you are no longer in alignment with the word that is spoken over your life. You are no longer in agreement or echoing heaven's word over your life. And so you've become unrecognizable to the Father. Then there's no fruit at all. It sounds terrible, but it's actually the comfortable one. Because if you're not producing fruit, you're not engaging in anything. So that's generally, at least now, in this stage of COVID, I feel like where most of us are. There was a time when we were all on fire and all ready to chase whatever. And now it's, I will rather stay at home, I'll watch church on my phone, or I won't go to cell group. I'd prefer if it's on, online, you know, if it's on Zoom. Don't, it's, it's a lot of work going out in the middle of the week. The danger of not producing any fruit at all is that you become irrelevant. Amen. Period. Not just irrelevant in the kingdom, you become irrelevant in hell too. Which I don't know if there's a worse place to be if nobody wants you. 
There's a constant battle between good and evil. And, in, uh, and if heaven is not gaining souls by your involvement, the devil won't need to spend his energy trying to stop you. If you have not grown in your own destiny, in your own ministry, or in your own goals, your own life progression, the devil is not to blame because you're irrelevant to him. So we need to stop finding a devil behind every bush because our lives are falling apart. If we're not doing anything, either way, you don't matter. You don't matter to the heavens. You don't matter to the devil. So we need to take responsibility for our own bad decisions. We're all guilty of it. Just this week, I, like I was miserable. Like there's a moment this week when I just woke up in a bad mood. I'd had a bad dream. And then I blamed the devil for giving me a bad dream. Yes, this must have been a prophetic, prophetic dream, eh? Like I came under attack in this dream and it's not okay. I need to go into battle for this. No, it was just, I ate sweet stuff just before bed and went to bed late. It probably was my own fault. It was a bad decision. No fruit means no production. Therefore, you are not aligning with the word of God over your life, and you are not aligning with the word of heaven over your life, and you are no longer recognizable to the Father. Fruit of corporate gain and the growth in the kingdom. Promotion, uh, the fruit of the corporate gain and growth in the kingdom produces promotion in the things of God. It creates, or it is creation of new things in your ministry. It creates new levels. It gives you new ideas. It forms new relationships. It molds relationships that are already existing. It brings anointing. It brings acceleration in signs, wonders, and miracles. It takes you outside of yourself. It produces the fruits of the Spirit. So where selfish intent is gossiping, it's slander, it's being miserable, um, comparison, resentment, excuses, pride, arrogance, comfort. That's all selfish gain. According to uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit are basically opposite to every single one of those things. And how many of us can say we live a life where we don't have resentment, where we don't take offense to the smallest things? where we don't choose to rather stay in our own comfort than actually go and receive or help somebody else receive. Or, I mean, the list goes on. I, I, I could be here all day coming up with examples. So going back to Jesus being made in the image of man, he's also the example for us to follow. And we know that when he got baptized, he came out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And then ironically, after he'd left and said, I'm sending a helper to be with you, the disciples were sitting in the upper room and flames of fire appeared on their heads. So surely the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus through his ministry is the same Holy Spirit that is now upon us as Christians. So if that's the case and Jesus is the example to follow, then how is it that wherever Jesus went in his short three years of ministry, there were signs, wonders, and miracles, and teachings that followed him? 
Sometimes he'd walk into a city without even saying anything yet, and people would move towards him just because of the anointing that he carried. You think of the revivalists of the, or just the revivalists in general of the, of the past. There's revivalists who would walk into a town and walk down the street, not even, not even in service. They'd just be living their life and walking down the street. And people would come and line the streets and get healed as they were walking. And if, we, if Jesus was made in our image, why is that not happening when we are walking down the street? Why is it not happening in our very household? Why is it not happening in our lives and in our own hearts? Surely we are no longer being recognized by God and we're not in alignment with the word that's been spoken over our lives. Comfort and excuses are easy, like I said, during this time. But the problem with being comfortable and having excuses is that you can't take them with you into heaven and they get you nowhere here on earth. So a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about the offering message, I also mentioned legacy and how what you do, if you're going to leave a legacy, your legacy is what affects the generations to come. If you're finding excuses for everything just so that you can stay in your comfort zone, are you even leaving a legacy? You're not even leaving a bad legacy. We're just not, we're existing. And when we're gone, we're gone. Nobody's going to remember us. Maybe the next generation might just by word of mouth, you know, remember Granny Joni, Nana Joni, she was so funny, she laughed all the time and she had them, you've got her laugh, but what has my legacy done to change the world? What has my legacy done to grow the kingdom? When we step into the kingdom, the only thing we take with us is our, is the people that we won for the kingdom, the souls that we won for the kingdom while we were here on earth. So you can walk in with all the people you've ever come in contact with and have a, a hell of a party when you enter heaven, or you're going to be the loner walking with your head hanging low through the gates of heaven. And I think that would honestly be a, a worse reality in my eyes, because that's eternity. It's like being the new kid in class, and then you walk in alone while everyone's seated. And I mean, you see even the movies show it as being like the worst experience for a kid to change schools and then they have to stand in front of the class and introduce themselves. I'm sure it's, this, I would imagine it's the same when you walk into heaven and you've called yourself a Christian and you've said, I declare that I'm going to work for the kingdom above all else because that's what God's heart is. And then you walk in there by yourself. But awkward. There's a danger in idolizing death and fear over God. Because when you are allowing fear and you're allowing death to rule what you're going to do, whether you're going to get out of your comfort zone, whether you're going to contact somebody, you're not only making yourself irrelevant, you're making the gospel irrelevant. There's a lost and dying world that's watching Christians, and we, they're waiting for us to fall. And of all the religions out there, Christians are the ones that are called out the most for being fake and bla being blasphemous and, and contradictory. We're being watched. 
And so when you allow death and fear to rule what you're going to do and whether you're going to pursue your destiny and leave a legacy, then you're basically saying, well, what I originally stood up to say I believe in is, hasn't really held weight in my life because I trust myself more than I trust God. And so to a world who's trying to see if this God is for real, what are you showing them? The lack of, growth cha- uh, lack of growth and change leads to dormancy and therefore irrelevancy. The word no longer recognizes you. So at this point, am I the only one that has fit into every single one of these categories so far? On a daily basis. <laughs> Thank you, Vince. I would have gotten nervous if nobody had said anything there. <laughs> um, so what do we do to make ourselves relevant again and to have the word declared for our destiny over ourselves again? We need a revival of the gospel in our hearts, Amen. not in church, not in the world. We, it's not for a revival that we imagine that we're going to be sitting here all holy because we've been part of Frontline for X amount of years and we've known the people that have worked there for X amount of years. But if we are the ones experiencing revival. And the only way that happens is if God revives in us our first love. When we first understood what it meant that Jesus died for me. And he didn't just die for me. He continually chose to die for me. And it wasn't even his fault to begin with. I constantly in my past went through a season where I knew God. And I'd given my life to God. And I knew my destiny. But in that moment, I wanted instant gratification. So it was easier for me to ignore God's warnings and go and sleep with the next guy that I met than to protect my purity. And yet in spite of that, God still died for me. He still got beaten up. He still got rejected. He still landed up in loneliness. He still hung on a cross battling to breathe for hours. He still had blood running into his eyes. He still sweat blood for me time and time and time again along that road. He could have decided, you know what, you're not worth it because it's not a one-time deal. You're going to do it over and over and over. Even after you've given your life to me and you've re-given and you've recommitted and you're serving the, the, the church and you're doing everything that a good church girl looks like she needs to be doing but in your heart you're going to keep denying me and you're going to keep pursuing your own comforts and you're going to keep idolizing fear and instant gratification over me he still chose to carry on towards his destiny and that's what we need revived in our hearts I don't have the same story that any of you have but there's a reason why we give our lives to God because we realize that just like Adam and Eve and just like Judas, when we follow our own selfish intent, it lands up in a bad place. So I want to share uh, quickly a story of a little guy named Blue. I've dubbed him Blue. He wasn't always Blue. I've called him Blue. 
and I'll walk around a little bit too. Um, a couple of weeks ago, our entire household landed up with a stomach bug. It's been doing its rounds. And uh, Kira, most of you know Kira, my little 10-year-old niece that's now my, my daughter. Um, her mom had fallen sick with cancer. And when her mom fell sick with cancer, uh, somebody had given her this little teddy bear. And he's a blue teddy bear. And he's not the prettiest teddy bear. If anything, Jared and I laugh at him because he, like, hurls us, you know? And um, she came to me. And, and when Mandy, when it was given to Mandy, her mom, it was given to her when she was ill. And so the kids always tell us about how she used to hold on to this little blue teddy bear because it was her boyfriend and it always used to make her feel better. And so the afternoon that the stomach bug had hit me, I was in agony in bed, cramping up, and it just, you know, stomach bug, you guys know the stomach bug is never a pretty thing. And Kira came into the room and she said, you know, I just can't help it. I missed you too much. And she came and gave me this biggest hug. And then she disappeared and she came back with Blue. And she said to me, Blue always made my mom feel better. So I want you to hold on to him now. And I've got to be honest at work because within five minutes I came up with about 20 jokes about this Blue teddy bear and how I could no longer feel blue if I was actually holding blue. But I was so touched because I knew it was a sacrifice. I knew how much that teddy bear means to her. And it didn't end there, because the next day when I felt better, I gave it back to her. And I went and put it back in her room, only for the next morning for this teddy bear to be sitting nicely propped up against our bedroom door, and I thought the thing was possessed. So I picked it up and I went and I put it back on, <laughs> prayed over it, put it back on her bed that it wouldn't walk through the night again, <laughs> back to our room. And that afternoon she got back from school and she brought it to me and she said, no, Auntie Jo, or well, she didn't even bring it to me. She left it on my bed because now it had progressed past the door and onto the bed. But luckily this time she'd left a little love letter with it. And in this little love letter, she said, Auntie Jo, I love you so much. I want you to keep blue. So it wasn't like I'm just giving it to you for you to feel better now. It's I'm sacrificing this to you as special as what it was to me. And I want you to keep it. And I was so moved by her kindness. And I was so moved by her sacrifice. And then I realized... How does a little girl giving me her teddy bear when I'm sick move me so much? But the story of a king sacrificing his only son for me no longer moved me. We've become, or I, have become so, had become so familiar with the gospel that I no longer recognize this relevance in my life. And then I look back at my life and I realized how many times I've nearly been taken down. And that generally doesn't happen unless you have a destiny that the heavens have spoken over your life. And I realized that if it wasn't for God and it wasn't for the gospel and its relevance in my life, I wouldn't be here. 
like five times already, I wouldn't be here. Before, or when I was born, I was born with spinal bifida. I had a hole in my spine. And the doctors had said to my mom, if they don't do immediate surgery, best case scenario, even if I live, I'm going to be paralyzed from the neck down. And my mom was a single mom. My mom and my dad had died just three months before that. So she had three babies at home, become an instant single mom, and now she's being told she's got to pay for a surgery or she's going to have a paralyzed child or a dead child. And she went home and she got on her knees and she prayed for me the entire night. She prayed for a miracle. And I, and I thank you, Mom, for that. She's done it a million times for me already. Um, but the next morning, they were prepping me for the surgery, and the hole had miraculously grown closed overnight. So much so that the skin was still pink over where the hole was, and it, it, had, it still had like a dent in where the hole was. So it had literally just fresh skin grown closed overnight. That was when I was born. When I was nine years old, uh, just by chance, my, my dad, my uncle, my grandfather had all passed at 28 from hereditary cholesterol. And at nine, my brothers went to get theirs tested. My mom took my, my brothers to get tested. And they came back with normal cholesterol. And then the, do the doctor said, well, you know what? We need to start building up a medical history. So since you've got all your kids here, we might as well just test Joni that we've got it on record anyway. But it's unlikely she's got it because my dad was Afrikaans and statistically it's more prone for the Afrikaans generations to in inherit this high cholesterol. And they tested me and I was 0.8 milligrams away from having a heart attack at nine years old. So they caught it just in time. I was immediately rushed to Professor Raul, who's the head of cholesterol studies in South Africa. And I became his guinea pig for my age group. For the rest of my life, I was going to be on medication. And then at the age of 21, I got into a relationship, thought I was going to marry the guy, and turned out I wasn't going to marry him. And I'd so placed my identity in him that when he left me, I became suicidal. And the night that I was going to do it, I'd taken all my cholesterol medication, a whole month's worth, and I'd laid it in a neat pile next to my bed with my big glass of water, and I was going to end it. And... As I was about to swallow the tablets, my brother phoned me. And my brother never phones me. Even now I'm married and I feel like he contacts my husband more than he contacts me. And so I was so shocked that I got a call from him that in my mind I received it. And I figured out that if I was going to speak to anybody for the last time, it may as well be a family member who never really spoke to me. And I answered the call and I said hello. And without him even saying hello, he said to me, what are you doing? And I broke down. And it turns out that he was in the middle of his Bible time, like his Bible study time, his quiet time with God, and God told him to stop what he's doing and call me. Three years later, I was held up at gunpoint. Uh, there was, it was a, a syndicate in the area, and they were doing heists in the area, and they'd gotten in. I was with my new boyfriend, and I was meeting his whole family that night. So there was 12 of us around the table. And these guys came in, one of them had a machete, two of them had a gun, and they beat up the poor gardener so badly and kept throwing him down at my feet. When they eventually led us into the house, they laid us face down and I was on the end. 
and the one with machete kept coming to tell me, I mustn't worry, he won't rape me, but in, in a derogatory way, like he's warning me that if he does, it will be me. And in that moment, I could do nothing but worship, not by choice. I'd just been baptized a couple of weeks before that. And uh, praise God, I had a vision that night that he had three angels standing between us and those guys. And when we went for counseling in the weeks to follow, they said it was the first time the syndicates had hit and nobody had gotten hurt. Like nobody had been shot badly. It wasn't like severely hurt. So years, fast forward years on, like six years later or so, I land up back in depression and I start considering taking my own life again. But now this time I had had the wisdom that I had the first time and I struggled it out with God and I was like, I don't understand why I've got this label of depression now and why can I not fight it this time when you showed up in, in a vision that time? Like why? And he said, but I told you in that vision I'd never leave you. I'm still here. Even though you've run from me and you idolized every man since then over me, I'm still yeah. And so I said, you know what? I'm not accepting this label over my life. I'm accepting the destiny that's been spoken over my life. And I put down the medication. It's not always wise to do this, but this is just my testimony that I'm sharing. I put down the medication and I stopped going to my psychology appointments and I started going for counseling. I went to mom and dad. And I just played my blood, my heart to them and I said, like, I know I'm wrong and I can't stop doing wrong. Like, I can't stop making bad decisions because I just want to be accepted. And I walked a journey with them and I realized that unforgiveness was a big part to play in my life. There was a lot of people I'd even had unforgiveness for my dad who I never even met because he abandoned me before I was even born. And I walked the road with them. The difference in all of this is that every time I went back to God, and even the first time I gave my life to Him, I had such a burning fire in my belly that I didn't even care if the next person was ready to hear the gospel or not. I blurted it out at them. And it wasn't even a decision. I was like ridiculously in love with God. Like I'd be like walking past, going to make my morning coffee in the office, and somebody would be like, It's a Monday morning at six o'clock. What's wrong with you? And I'd be like, Jesus loves me, and He loves you too. Like, it was like I was that gross Christian, you know, like the one that people actually get irritated with because they're like, oh my goodness, you know. Why are we not all like that all of the time? Because giving and walking in our destiny isn't a choice. It's not work then. If you have had a revelation of God's sacrifice over your life, then that's all that matters to you. It's not work telling your testimony. It's not work trying to save people for the kingdom. It's not work giving into the kingdom, whatever that is, whether it's monetary value, whether it's your skills, whether it's that you see a need on the streets and you give of it. It would be it's second nature then. It's not hard because you are so excited about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and that he's able to do it for the next person who's sitting there and miserable and their marriage is falling apart or their business is going down the drain that you're like, let me tell you about this guy and what he did for me. It was easy then. That's what we need a new fire of. So that we don't have to hear sermons about how we need to find new fire and we need to fight for revival and we need to pray and grind. Like It shouldn't be a grind. The kingdom of heaven is not work. 
When we get to heaven, nowhere in the Bible does it say you're even going to need a day job or we even need to go and serve in the fields to make sure everybody in heaven eats. No. We don't even have to worry about whether we're skin or fat or tall or thin or whatever. Everything is just in perfect harmony. And we've got the Holy Spirit who rules the kingdom of heaven living in us. And yet it's a grind for us to even go to cell group on a Wednesday. Because everything else is more important. I'm too busy. Uh, uh, you know, like I've got family coming this afternoon. I can't go to worship tonight. I've been there how many times? I've been to pray like every week for the last four weeks. I can take a break because I don't feel like it today. Why don't you feel like it? Why don't we feel like serving the kingdom? So again, I say, we've become so familiar with the gospel that we don't recognize its relevance in our life anymore. And I'm guilty of that too. If we can go to Philippians 2, verses 5 to 16. Uh, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, uh, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He was made like you and I. He reflects you and I. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You are called to be obedient to the destiny that's spoken over your life. And it's not because God wants you to work. It's because he loves you and he wants to be in relationship. He doesn't want to see you grinding it or falling in and out of love and being heartbroken or dying because you have hereditary sickness or disease or none of that. He did it because his original intent when he spoke the word over your life was to create, not to destroy. Therefore God exalted him into the highest place and gave him, the, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is our common uh, goal is to proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will uh, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Your destiny is God's purpose. Our purpose is heaven. And we don't do it by our own strength either. God equips us. He walks with us. Again, it's relationship. He wants relationship first. Before he wants a hundred souls to come with you into heaven. 
He just wants you and he wants your soul because that was his original intent. To be in pure relationship with us. The perfect example of what relationship should look like. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Stop taking offense to everything. Stop staying in your comfort zone and finding excuses for everything. Stop grumbling with each other. Stop gossiping badly and speaking over the people in your life badly because it didn't appease you or they said something that offended you or they're not doing something the way you'd expect them to be doing it. And I'm not just talking here about like church services and that. People in our own household offend us. And then we justify our bad decisions and how we treat them and what we speak over them by what they've done. And they're not perfect. If you're calling them perfect and expect them to be perfect, then why are you not perfect? Why do you need to justify your actions then so that it makes you feel better about feeling bad? Why does it make like that it's easy for us to blame somebody else and not take responsibility for our own actions? Instead of being offended and speaking bad about somebody, why not go to them and say, I love you, how can I help you? You look like you're carrying strain, or is there something on your heart? Can I pray for something for you? <laughs> yeah, married couples, eh? Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. It's not a labor. I didn't write it down yet, but there's a scripture I found, and I had such a revelation on it yesterday. It blessed me so much in the story of uh, Jesus, you know, going to the Mount of Golgotha. And right at the beginning of carrying his cross, it says that there was a bunch of uh, widows and virgins following him and crying. And he stopped and he turned and he said to them, don't cry for me, cry for yourselves and your children. This is a man who'd lost his identity, everything including his identity. And he's telling them, don't cry for me because it's going to be worse for you if you don't realize what I'm doing for you. And we live that every day. So in closing, I want to say, and I'm speaking of myself, and I hope that many of you relate and agree with what I'm declaring for myself. I want a fresh fire, not for you. Amen. And I don't want a fresh fire for the lost world that I haven't yet gone out and be praised for speaking the gospel to them. And I don't want a fresh fire so that I can preach and further enhance myself in the things of God. I want a fresh fire for me so that I never become familiar with what Jesus did for me and what I was without him. I don't want to go back to being that person. I don't want to go back. I have all the empathy in the world for that person, but she was bad, man. She kept making bad decisions knowing she was making bad decisions just so she felt better and it could have instant gratification for the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month. I didn't care about what eternity looked like for me. I just wanted it then and there.
I want my life and my destiny to echo the word that heaven has spoken over me. I want to walk into heaven with everybody I love and even those I don't even know that are watching me. I want to have a heaven party when I get there. I want to leave nothing but myself behind and pursue God, pursue the gospel, and pursue my future with everything that I have, even if it means I've got to get out of my comfort zone. Even if it means I've got to be nervous for preaching because I understand the weight of the platform that's been given to me. You don't need a stage. You don't need a stage to be preaching the gospel to those around you. You just need your testimony and a will to speak it. You know, the thing about having a fresh fire and giving your life to God is complete freedom in Him. And where there's freedom, there's joy and there's peace. So it's not like a a whack on the proverbial bum from your heavenly father, this kind of a message. This message is Him saying, I love you. I love you and I've got better things for you. And yes, it may be hard along the way. And yes, it may feel like I'm doing the opposite of what you pictured me doing. But I am never leaving you. And my my word over your life has never changed. But as long as you are pursuing my word for you over your life, I recognize you as my child. And yes, you're going to have to make sacrifices. But You're never going to make sacrifices and not have something I can give you in its place that's 10 times better than what you thought you needed in life. I lost count of how many relationships I had and how many guys I slept with in my 20s. And when I gave it back to God, it took him two years to return me to complete purity and I found my husband to the point that on our wedding night, we were awkward virgins. God can restore everything that you have lost. He can restore everything that the devil has taken. He can restore everything that you've taken away from yourself. He can restore the fire in your belly for the things of God. He can restore your peace of mind, your peace of heart. He can restore the joy. He can give you joy that you've never known. But He doesn't force it on you. Just as His heart for us in the beginning was to have relationship, His heart was also for us to choose Him in return. Adam and Eve didn't choose that. They they chose selfish gain. And there began the fall of man and it continues even today. Even those of us who are saved continue to choose selfish gain over relationship with Him. But He's never taken the choice away from us. And so yeah, stands a girl who has survived the attack of death five times, I think, in my life. But God has restored me to a place where I'm walking into my destiny, even when I don't feel like I'm ready for it.
and he can do it for you. If he could do it for me, he can do it for you. But it starts with us choosing God first. It starts with us taking a step towards him and realizing that I'm not just going to say I'm a Christian to fit into society. And I'm not just going to say a Christian for my own selfish gain of getting into heaven when I die, but I can continue living the way I want to while I'm here. But it's you saying, I choose you, God, and I choose the word that's spoken over my life because my heart is your heart. And if your heart is to gain the kingdom, to grow the kingdom of heaven, to have relationship with you, then my heart is to grow the kingdom of heaven so that all may have relationship with you. So that brings me to the end of the word that God's placed on my heart. But in this atmosphere, I want to invite anybody who, like me, needs to recommit not just to God, but to yourself. That we realize we fall short every day. And the awesome thing is that God says His grace is sufficient for us and His mercies are fresh every day for us. Again, it's our choice on whether we're going to accept those or not. But it starts by us declaring publicly, Lord, I choose you and I recognize you as being Lord and being the better option than any other decision I have in my life. That you're the better option than my own comfort. That you're the better option of what I feel like doing from day to day. So if you feel that you want to recommit your life to God, I'm going to ask us to do this publicly. I know we often, most often, more often than not, we do this corporately or we tell everybody to close their eyes to protect people so they don't feel uncomfortable or get offended. But this message speaks against that very thing. There's not one person that is any better than the other person. We're at different places in our journey. And so if this message resonated with you like it resonated with me, I want you guys to come forward. And if you want to give your life to God, you've never known God, but you've heard how He's touched my life and you want to give your life to God, then I'm going to ask you also to just stand up. Let's actually just stand up. Nobody come to the front because let's do COVID protocol. But just stand up. If you don't feel like the word's for you, that's okay. You're on your own relationship with God and your own journey. You can remain seated then and just pray with us. Thank you, Lord God. After we've prayed the prayer, um, Pastor Wendy is at the back. If it's the first time you are giving your life to God, can I ask you to just raise your hand for me quickly? If there's anybody who's never given their lives to God and this is their first time, one at the back. Okay, praise God. When we finished, can you please go with Pastor Wendy at the back door there? It's just so that we can pray a little bit more with you and give you things to just help you along the journey of getting to know Jesus, he's an awesome guy, man. He's my first husband. <laughs> okay. I want us to just close our eyes and I want you to just see yourself sitting in front of Jesus. Cancel out the people around you. Cancel out Mother's Day lunch that's waiting for you at home. Just picture you sitting with Daddy God and your bro Jesus who gave his life because he loved you. And I want you to see him looking at you going, I love you. I'll do it again because I still love you.
never left you. And then I want you, as you're sitting in front of them, I want you to just tell them and call to mind the things that you know you've done that are not in alignment with the word of your destiny. Lay it at their feet. And then I want you to see Jesus getting up and putting his arms around you. And as he does that, feel the joy and the weight of life lift. Feel the fresh fire of love being ignited and reignited in your heart. It's not a prayer for a prayer's sake. It's a declaration and it's a commitment. Now I can't force you to do that. That's a personal decision and that's why I said it's okay. It's okay if it's not your time. Everyone's on their own journey. But there's an anointing here now where God's calling us back. He's calling us to repentance with Him. And so if you're ready... Let's make that commitment together this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm going to break off there. I acknowledge this morning that I've fallen short. of the word you've spoken over me. And I acknowledge that I have become that I have become irrelevant to you. And I acknowledge that I've acted in my own selfish gain. And I recognize that you love me. And that you die for me a thousand times. If it took that many. For me to stand here today acknowledging you as Lord. And I commit today. To live my life for you and your word. Amen. Praise God. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.